Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us here today. Every time I do this introduction, Matt and Josh always grab their mugs of coffee and drink to hide their laugh, laughing at me all the time. But I'm so happy you're joining us today. I'm Father Daniele. Joining me, like I said, are the two people that uh, we've been journeying, I think, with Joseph over the last uh, 30 days, Josh Sullivan and Matt Van Milligan. Welcome to you guys. Hello. Thank you. Feast of St. Joseph on Friday. Yeah. Many people did the consecration to St. Joseph. Yeah. I don't know if you guys did the consecration or not, but uh, it was phenomenal to celebrate that feast day on uh, last Friday because... uh, I was doing the consecration to St. Joseph, and it was really stunning Like yeah. to learn about St. Joseph, to, um, to journey with him. And to then, think about him in a different light. Yes, and yeah. every day, to like honestly, since the days have passed, since the feast day, I'm like, I need to, I feel like I need to read about St. Joseph more, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I just had that habit for 33 days. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was really beautiful. And some of the cool stories that came from uh, the, the stories of St. Joseph were, I had no idea... Uh, about two miracles, and apparently one is a movie, right? Yeah. One is that the actual house oh, yeah. of the Holy Family moved. Yeah. Like, the people woke up one day and the house was gone, and it moved from uh, somewhere in the Middle East yeah. to Croatia. Yeah. And then, it's, and then moved yeah. from Croatia to a town in Loreto, in Italy. Italy. Yeah. And they've done measurements of the house. Yeah. It's exactly the same. It's it's made with the same materials, the not even available in Croatia yeah. or Italy. The clay from, from the Middle East. The clay from the Middle East is there. Like this house just... Disappeared and then showed up Disappeared overnight. and showed up somewhere else. Like yeah. I, I didn't know that. Of course, I'm giving you the Coles Notes version. If people still use Coles Note anymore, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I think I think the older generation understands what it is. <laughs> yeah. I think people actually have the internet now. I people have the yeah. internet. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but really fascinating stuff. That was number one mm-hmm. that I was really fascinated about. Number two was, and this is, I think, where the movie, there was a movie about this. Yeah. There was a, and I didn't know, I've never seen the movie, didn't know about this story. There was a group of cloistered nuns who had this church, their chapel, but the church was designed in such a way where they couldn't install a stairwell to the balcony. Yeah. Because the space was too tight or whatever it was, right? Yeah. So they did a novena. That's a nine-day prayer to St. Joseph, um, asking for someone to help them build the staircase to come up with this new idea, maybe resources to be able to make a new plan of the building, you know? And on the ninth day of the novena, the prayers to St. Joseph, this man shows up at, the, at this... Not known to anybody. Not known to anyone. Yeah, just shows up, says, I hear you're looking for someone to help. And they were like, oh, God bless you. Well, thanks be to God. And, and this, this guy said, I will build this staircase myself yeah. as long as I'm allowed to work by myself. Yeah. Like no one bugs me sort of thing. Eh? Yeah. And then, yeah. The, the t- two really cool things about that from a woodworking perspective um, is that uh, no nails were used. It's, it's a spiral staircase. Um, and the reason that it wasn't included in the first place is that the engineer who did the original designs after they found out that they forgot a staircase is like, you'll never get one in that space. Or you know, like that just physically doesn't work. Um, so that no nails were used, and there's no center pillar, or no center column. Oh, so it's all which is so physically. It's, yeah, so it, it was built step by step. The the wood bent, the and no nails used, and it fits perfectly in the space. Um, like, and it's been it's been analyzed from that perspective. And the say, wood even that was used is isn't from that region. Isn't from that region. Yeah. 
And after the stairwell was done, the man just disappeared. Like they didn't hear from him. Didn't didn't. They went into the town. Like where where can we thank this this man? No one knew who they were talking about. Yeah. And so they really believe that Saint Joseph came to them, built the staircase, yeah, and cool. left. Yeah. That's cool. It's fascinating. Anyways, Saint Joseph has become. I mean, it was always a great favorite of mine. But I I'm really enamored by him over all over again. You know. Because it has been a, a cool journey. Yeah. Especially, and, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, especially that it's the, the year of St. Joseph. The year of St. Joseph. We did a like, whole episode on that. Um, it's during Lent. Um, and that, Well, his, his feast day normally falls during Lent. Um, but that's... Uh, and personally, um, Wednesdays and Fridays in Lent, we take as kind of more penitential uh, mm. days. But this past week, it was the... Um, kind of the perfect combination because St. Patrick's Day was on Wednesday, feast day. Yeah. St. Joseph was on oh, Friday. Feast day. So. I will admit, I took I took advantage of the opportunity on yeah. Friday to eat meat. <laughs> yeah. I did. I was like every meal meat uh, because it was a Friday <laughs> Friday in Lent. You know, I don't know. Okay, this is off topic, but Fridays in Lent, I'm always planning my non meat meals. Like, mm, you know, should I stick with the tuna? I'll, yeah, I was gonna say I'm or, gonna have this today, or you know what? I'll push that back I'll, to Friday because that's yes, not meat. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I, salmon. I haven't had. Oh yeah, wait till Friday. So I I took advantage of the opportunity to eat meat. Yeah. Uh, on Friday. Okay, so let's um, move on. St. Joseph, pray for us. And uh, one thing I do want to talk about today with uh, you guys is last week was we had, uh, there was a bit of a, uh, a commotion, I think, in the media yeah. uh, with uh, a certain teaching of, of the Catholic uh, faith. And I, I think it's good to talk about that because um, last Monday or Tuesday, and uh, if I may, it was it was it was quite like the Vatican to just release this statement with their normal announcements that they do, just kind of tucked in there, you know. And then all of a sudden, by like later that day, it had spread all over <laughs> our media. And of course, the news I'm talking about is the Vatican clar- uh, clarifying, or actually, it was an answer to a dubium, and a dubium is a question mm-hmm. uh, placed on the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Which is, the, which is the congregation that deals with matters of faith and answers the questions of, of what's permitted and what's not, right? So the question was, if the church has the authority to give a blessing to unions of people who are of the same sex, mm-hmm. the short answer w- was no. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gave like a response as why. So the, not only did the answer make headlines, mm-hmm. but the response made headlines as well. Um, so we're going to just kind of break that open a little yeah. bit today and, and try and get people to understand it more. And, you know, this because this teaching is something that a lot of people wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not, um, not just people with same-sex attractions, right? But Catholics in general. You, you might have... Uh, you know, you might have a son or daughter. Who, family member or a friend. Yeah, exactly. Right? Family member, friend. So this is one that a lot of people wrestle with. And I think we should just kind of break it open mm-hmm. and, and see what we can do with this conversation. I think, I think it's important to note that this teaching hasn't changed. Right. Right? Even though the media has suggested that there has been changes in the church, nothing has changed on this. All that has been done is clarified the church's position, which then a lot of times the media takes and spins one way or the other. Right? But 
for like hundreds of years, this hasn't changed. The difference has changed society's view. And as not a lot of people now necessarily grew up with the teachings of the church or those kinds of things, um, or, or let's say a misunderstanding of the teachings of the church now, and the world is starting, uh, the world is becoming, uh, let's say, more accepting of that lifestyle, right? Like if you went back 20, 30 years ago, uh, in, it was illegal still in, in some countries having same-sex attractions and stuff. And even today, there's still some countries that, that, that that's the case. But nowadays, it's a lot more accepted in society as general. In fact, it's become the norm uh, for those people with those, those attractions. But the church has never changed its teaching on this, whether it was back in Roman times when this was very prevalent or back in the 1500s when it wasn't prevalent and then back again to today. It's never changed those teachings. It's just clarified. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I um, you know, this has been a solid teaching of, of the Catholic yeah, Church. It hasn't changed. That, like, like, if we're going to go at the very basic level, marriage, uh, the sacrament of marriage in the church is between a man and a woman. Yeah. Okay? We, we did a whole episode, I think, on, mm-hmm. on that. And uh, I like, I always like the term about bonding, what babies and bonding, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, that you use in the RCIA class. Um, but yes, that's always been the teaching of the church. However, this week, you know, when the teaching of the church was just clarified, yes, it, it kind of exploded as sort of breaking news. I like what you said, like nothing has changed. Like this was just, just the church sort of answering a question um, being brought to their attention, yeah. right? And I, I think it was kind of spurred on by the conversations the German bishops are having right yeah. now, you know? Yeah. And uh, so they were just answering the question of what the church teaches. I, I feel as though, going about what you're saying, there was a lot of disappointment in yeah. the bishops, uh, in, in the Vatican's uh, answer to the question. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though that's sort of related to um, the style in which Pope Francis sort of has as the pontiff. Because there's, many people who aren't familiar with church structure or church teaching, they see Pope Francis as this real um, like Maybe. innovator of, of, the, of the church. Even and, the, the president of the church that changes things. And, and the, if, yes, you know? where you know, Pope Francis has, has not changed any teaching mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church. But I think for people outside of the church, he's seen as sort of, Someone who's changing things yeah. and, and bringing the church into what they would say is the new um, yeah. millennia or yeah, new they, century. They or, see him as, as a progressive. As so a progressive. There are a couple of factors, and what both of you were saying, that kind of set up this sort of disappointed expectation that the church is going to change its teaching on marriage. Um, and then, Josh, I think you, you, you rightly said, just like the church has understood marriage as a sacrament from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and we talked in a previous episode about how kind of the disparity between, you know, what, what the church understands as the sacrament of marriage and what society understands as kind of a legal arrangement of marriage or kind of a civil union, those, those are drifting further and further apart. So it's kind of incumbent on the church um, to, to clarify, you know, as those things become more disparate, like, no, no this is, this is, um, uh, this is a marriage and this is, uh, this is a civil union or this is a legal arrangement. Um, and, uh, we spoke earlier, um, about that, uh, for, for us who aren't necessarily following <laughs> in, in this detail, in, in like for those of us born, you know, after the, the sexual revolution, born after kind of, um, uh, the, the legal change in marriage from everything from kind of divorce and infidelity and and all those things we, we've grown up in a context of like this this is a progressive view of marriage this is just kind of the next step so 
people who kind of inhabit that narrative, people who are part of that kind of story of progress, um, they're, they're superimposing that expectation on the church. They're superimposing that expectation on, um, you know, that, that this is something that the church just needs to get around to. Um, but it's also worth noting, too, that um, uh, the church blessing a marriage, it's not just a simple kind of blessing. There's actually kind of a and, and Father, you're probably better equipped <laughs> to speak to this. But like, if, if um, say, uh, you got married, and then you know, uh, three or four years into your marriage, you, you became Catholic, and you're like, well, well, we weren't married in a Catholic church. We didn't have you know the Catholic sacrament of marriage. You can have a priest bless that marriage mm -hmm. to bring it into kind of the sacramental fullness of uh, what it initially should be. But because of circumstance, you you didn't have that opportunity. That it's like actually blessing a marriage isn't just this kind of vague approval. It's an actual, you know, recognition that the marriage stands within the context of the church. Yeah, and um, on on that, like, I read the response that the congregation put out mm -hmm. on on this matter, and I just have a copy here in front of me. Um, one thing that really helped me to understand it was uh, in, in about the fourth uh, or fifth paragraph. Um, it talks about what happens when you invoke a blessing on human relationships, right? Like what you're saying, even you're not married in the Catholic Church, you become Catholic after the priest can bless uh, the, the, the marriage. And that's in the fifth paragraph, it talks about the power of blessing on particular human relationships, that they're always oriented towards, it calls a blessing a sacramental, mm -hmm. which are always orient us towards the sacrament, right? So it says, if that makes sense, if I'm not making sense, please stop me. Yeah. <clears throat> but it says, therefore, only these realities which are in themselves ordered to serve the ends, which is the sacrament, mm -hmm. are congruent with the essence of the blessing imparted by the church. That really helped me to be able to talk about it with people this week. Yeah. Because basically what, what the Vatican is saying is, it's not, people think, like, what's the big deal? Just bless, yeah, yeah. you know? But it, it's, it's not congruent with the end situation. It's not congruent with where marriage is, in the sacrament of marriage is, right? So to impart a blessing on two people of the same sex who are, uh, you know, becoming together, gathering together in a union, doesn't make sense because it's not leading to the sacrament of marriage. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's where it's saying it's always congruent to the end. It always ends with the sacrament. That makes sense. And, and realizing that the church isn't... Where, so when we come to government and we're talking about marriage and we're talking about this and that and the other, the government is of the people for the people or should be, right, is, mm -hmm. is roughly, roughly the idea. And, but the church isn't. Yeah. <laughs> the church isn't of the people for the people. Right. The church doesn't... So, so whereas in political political structure or laws of the land will change based on what people want it to change as. So if people are supporting that, or let's say we really want to have uh, white owl, white barn owl hunting season or whatever the case <laughs> may be, we could affect, like if the whole world, if the whole, all of Canada or of all of Ontario felt that way, we could open that up and make it, we could vote on it and make it something and make it legal to hunt white barn owls. But the church's teaching, church's teaching has nothing to do with what the rest popular, of popular yeah. belief is or what people, what people want to see happen. It is 
led by the Holy Spirit, led by God. And so we can't just say, okay, this is going to change because people want it to change. Does that make sense? I think, yeah. that's, I think that's something to remember that it's not necessarily by popular belief or by popular vote that things change. It, you know, it is by understanding and God's will. Yeah, so, and, and that's something that, we, that the church kind of teaches with every sort of area yeah. Of, yeah. of, you know, like not just in, in talking about marriage, but, you know, like, look how many people don't even believe in the real presence of, of Jesus in the Eucharist. Exactly. Or, like, even Catholics, yeah, you yeah. know? So it's because, well, most people think it's a symbol. So it must be a symbol? We're just going to reduce it to a symbol uh, just to make people understand it better. Yeah. Um, you know, like, all these, all, these different, all these different areas. Like, uh, even you think of someone, uh, you think of euthanasia. People say, well, think of the suffering people go with. And then you think, like, okay, because people say... People shouldn't have to suffer. Will allow people to take their their yeah. own life. Like so, it was, like was, we could we can make that argument with with everything that, yeah, it's not popular opinion. Bringing it back to the Catholic uh, faith, there was when um, when we're not gonna, we'll talk about this in another episode. But when contraception came out, mm-hmm. it was thought to be one of these great things. A lot of the Christian churches dropped what they were teaching on contraception at the time because it seemed to be the answer to what the world was looking for and everything else. But Pope uh, Paul VI, thank you, Paul VI came out and, and made a statement and the whole world kind of, <laughs> like today, were, was shocked by what, what are you saying? This doesn't make sense. This, this, and he predicted that certain things would happen. If you go through it, I mean, his predictions were right on. But the church doesn't change just because of popular belief or by popular understanding, right? Like yeah. it, it is, is based off of a truth. And that truth isn't necessarily based off of popular belief. I yeah, think, and I, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I, th- I think that's a good example because what we're really talking about, like, and, and uh, sorry to bring it into kind of philosophical language, but like the church's understanding of law is teleological, that, that uh, actions are ordered towards ends and they're ordered towards proper ends, that humans have a nature, humans have human nature, and that order, that nature is ordained by God. And so all of our actions should be ordered towards those ends. And like that's pretty philosophical, but yeah. you kind of contrasted that with kind of a, a, a positivistic yeah. uh, um, legal positivism. Um, that it's something that can change over time. Um, so uh, talking about this kind of narrative, this expectation that's building that, you know, the church, the church is just like the world, but a couple decades behind. That it's, this, yeah, is, yeah, this, this is something that's, that, that's going to change. <laughs> They're just, you know, late, behind late to this. the table. Yeah. Um, uh, Pope Paul VI and Humanae Vitae is a really good example of that because the justification for saying that, um, you know, use of contraception was objectively disordered not ordered towards the ends of, of what human sexuality should be ordered towards, mm-hmm. um, was, was a real disappointment for those who were saying, okay, well, no, that, now this, we this is just the next step. Right. Um, so that's, that's pretty analogous to kind of what we're talking about now is that um, the justification for these things is that, no, sexuality within marriage is ordered towards pretty specific ends. And those, those are kind of... Babies and bonding. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... I think, too, when you're thinking about that, you have to understand, let's t- taking it away from when we're talking, a lot of times people, though the media specifically likes to target the church against homosexuality. And the, what's kind of happened in the past is that Pope Francis has actually stood up and tried to clarify things, but then the media takes that and pretends like he's swinging a whole different way than what the church has taught in the past. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what he's really saying is, no, no, like the church has stood up and has said, no, like the person is a person first. And realizing that sexuality is not 
the whole being of a person. Mm -hmm. Even though I think today, especially when we're talking about sex cells, um, the world likes to push that you as a human, because we don't necessarily push you as a child of God or you as, you know, you first are a, a, a sexual being, you know, and that's kind of the, the push of the world on, on society. I mean, a media, let's say, on society. But the church pushes back. No, no, sexuality is a very small part of humanity. And, and even so, like if you look at our, our priests and our religious lives, they actually take a vow of celibacy, taking away that part, not taking away, but giving that back to God, fully to God. And, and so showing that you don't need <laughs> um, to have a sec an active sexual life. Mm -hmm to be fully human, to be fully a person, to be fully a man, to be fully a woman, to be fully, like sexuality is a great gift from God, but it's one small part of what makes you human. And what I think a lot of times we degrade ourselves into is, is saying that sexuality is all that I'm about. And I'm not just saying this when it comes to a, a homosexuality or whatever. I'm saying this uh, across the world. Sure. I worked many blue-collar jobs where I worked with people, and they're nine to five. Like, we worked together from seven in the morning until seven at night, and then their whole thing was, I'm going to go home, I'm going to go to the bar, I'm going to try to get laid, and then I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to do it all over again. I'm going to work 12 hours, go home, try to get, like, go to the bar, try to get laid, do it all... That was their life. And so when we, when we degrade human nature to only being about sexuality, we're missing a, a crucial part of who God created us to be. So let's take that away. Let's, what the church does is says, okay, God gave us great pleasurable things in life. I love my eating. But eating is meant for a purpose. And when you take away that purpose, so eating is meant to keep your body going and have energy and all that stuff. But when you take away that purpose, either you stop eating... <laughs> like anorexia or, or you're not taking that stuff in, or you eat too much, there can be sin involved there or there can be, um, you're not using it for the purpose it was created for. And because of that, there's a distortion. And, that, and so then we have to look at what's going on there. Um, gluttony being that sin or, or, or the other, right? You can then willingly give up food, give up the pleasure of food and fast, but fasting past a certain point without spiritual direction, without all that stuff, can be a sin, right? Like if, if you're just not eating, well, that you could be anorexic. You know, why, why are you not eating? And that's why fasting beyond a certain point has to be done under spiritual guidance, I believe, with the church suggests, right, that you should be doing that. But the same thing when it comes to sleeping. Sleeping. We need it. We all need it. You'll die without sleep. We figured that out through unfortunate circumstances before. But if you take sleep... And then you do too much of it. If all you're doing is sleep, then we have to look, okay, there's something going on here. And now we're talking about sloth or laziness or something. You know what I mean? So taking the purpose out of the action. Are, are humans all about sleep? Absolutely not. That's a small, very small part. Are humans about eating? Absolutely not. That's, that's a couple hours of our day, but it's not a huge part of our day. And we incorporate eating into other aspects, family, community, all that stuff. Sexuality, is it, it is a small part of who we are and who we're called to be. Does that make sense? I'm going on, I know, but... <laughs> yes, I, I followed you there in the end. Okay, good, like, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, did, you did make a good point. I, I agree. Yeah, and I, I would just say that, like, uh, that celibacy, like, talking about, um, is, is kind of foreign to any of us who grew up kind of post-sexual revolution. Yeah. That it's like, that, that celibacy is, you know, something that's imposed on you, or it's just like people who have a negative view from outside the church that it's like, okay, well, priests have to be celibate. Like this is, but without really looking at, you know, the possibility that 
celibacy is actually can be a virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, and just bringing it back to when we're talking about Saint Joseph, that uh, you know, like if if we believe in the the perpetual virginity of Mary, which you know by extension means that you know Joseph was was celibate for for his entire life, and we hold him up as kind of the you know the model of of, of virtue with, within marriage, like he's uh, like he's most known as you know the spouse of the Blessed Virgin. Yeah. That it's you know he if he's our model for well uh, us specifically as as men, but also kind of a model for anyone who kind of wants to be married, uh, which is the kind of context of our discussion. That like he chose celibacy, and you know that that, that was uh, <laughs> um, it wasn't a negative thing for him. It it allowed him to fulfill kind of his vocation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some, I want to say some, some positive things that were received, I guess, maybe, by the Vatican Statement from the CDF, and maybe some real negative stuff. So the first positive that I, I want to say is the church does, when it releases these documents, does make a distinction. And in this document, it does say, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that um, people with same-sex attraction are any less than anyone else. Of course like, not. It clarifies that, yeah. you know, it, it, it reiterates that. It says, and that doesn't mean that because a union between two people of the same sex can't be blessed, doesn't mean that uh, people with, with same-sex attraction can't be blessed. Like, mm. it makes those distinctions, which people here in the Western world might say are very minor and maybe pitiful, like, oh, great, I'm glad they, they, don't they have, said yeah. that before they say that they can't. But, uh, like, remember, the church is a universal church. Yeah. You know, there are areas outside of the Western world where this news is, of the Vatican saying... Is forbidden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this, this news of the Vatican saying that, um, the, you know, homosexual people are due, are, are worth and deserving of respect and dignity mm-hmm. to be treated with undue dis- uh, discrimination. Yeah. Like, that, that's not taken lightly in some parts of the world where the Vatican is saying this, Right. Um, so we might we might see that and just take it for granted because that's the world we we live in. Of yeah. course, yeah. we believe that people with uh, same sex attraction should not be treated any, any less, right? So that would be that would be a positive thing that I think that came from this. Now, what made the headlines? Yeah, and what was probably the most shocking wording that came from this document was, and and this is where you know I saw it in CTV News, CBC News, all uh, over all the place. The I know I saw it too. Says, Vatican says it cannot bless priests cannot bless same sex unions because quote it's a sin God cannot bless sin yeah so that of course fired everyone up like oh you know and and so <laughs> that was the wording they used yeah right that was the wording the media picked up on where people are really upset it's like one of the last lines in the whole document and it's too, right? I know and, and, and to be honest with you as I'm reading along I'm like oh okay, this is good okay. this is good yeah and then I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> here it is you know yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah I, I, I think that uh, I, I, I could understand yeah where people if people were offended by that yes. by that comment I, I totally could understand you know what is, what is the what, what are we trying to say here like basically, basically, the understanding, though, the reason why people would take offense to it, and I think, and I understand what you're saying, because why people would, would be, because it would be like the church. Now, let's just use me. I'm big. It's not a, a you know, not, you can't hide that on camera. Uh, <laughs> I like my food. Um, but if it said that people that are obese are sinners, if it said that, people would be offended by that, right? Because people who have 
necessary, who have eaten more than they need to or whatever else, are sinners. If, sure. or, or we can't bless um, the hot dog eating contest or whatever the case may be because it, it promotes uh, gluttony or whatever. So understanding that it's, people can get offended by it 100%. Yeah, but take that out of out of context. What they're saying here is not necessarily that they can't like they can bless the person. The person, the the worth of the person, as you mentioned before, everything about the person <clears throat> is not. If the person has same sex attractions, but the act of homosexuality isn't there, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's the act of homosexuality. When you talk about the act of homosexuality, why is because you're take? I mean, why does the church? Um, distinguish that because the act of homosexuality is taking the pleasure from sex but not having the babies or bonding necessarily attached to it. And the same for um, heterosexual sex outside of the marriage. So really we're talking about sex, the sex acts outside of the marriage. Baby money, yeah. Right. And and the same could even be said with extramarital sex. Exactly. Two people in a committed married relationship who are having sex with people that aren't their spouse, uh, people who are having sex outside of marriage. Yes, it's it's the, not. The church is not is not saying homosexuality. Yeah. Um, I mean, they are they are, but they're not saying specifically. I mean, it, it can all be yeah, exactly right. only exclusively exclusively. Yes. If a man and a woman want to get together, they can do it so under any circumstances. <clears throat> but a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, cannot. Right. What they're saying is, it can only be done in this context, which is. For babies and bonding, if you want, like I'm just using that as a brief term, but and and, and I think about uh, sorry, Matt. I think no. about like Catholics. You know, there are Catholics who are um, who have same-sex attraction, who try and live their life of faith as best as they yeah, can. Yeah, for sure. And I know because I hear it from them. They feel like the church is always sort of exclusively picking on homosexual acts, yeah. right? And because we don't often, or it seems like we don't often talk about uh, the sin of premarital sex or extramarital sex, and which may be true in some cases, Agreed. right? Yeah. Because while the church teaches that uh, homosexual persons should be afforded uh, respect and dignity, not all Catholics mm-hmm. afford them that, right? And, and it reflects poorly on the entire church. That is not what the church wants. That is not what, what, what God wants for his church or for his people. And um, there is, to be perceived that the church picks exclusively on homosexual acts, yeah. might, there might be some truth to that because they sense it all the time, right? Whereas the church could do a better job of, you know, in high schools and college universities talking about premarital sex. These things don't make headlines, yeah. though. When we're talking about premarital, premarital sex... Uh, they don't make headlines. The church's teaching on that does not make headlines, right? So it, it does have that unbalance of yeah. where it seems like we are a little bit unfair, the, the but popes, in some cases we are. The popes have spoken about sure, premarital course, sex, course, and you know what I mean? It's but a like, fundamental teaching of our... Exactly, and they yeah. talked about even the fam- the Senate of Family uh, where, yeah. that happened recently. And stuff. Yes. They, they talked and clarified some of the things with, around, sexual, uh, uh, about, around sex in marriage and yeah. stuff, but that never made headlines, yeah. right? And when I was going to say, when you like, when the conversation stays at the level of the headlines, you don't have yes. the opportunity to make these kind of nuanced distinctions or clarifications that, um, but, and people really pick up on specific language. So when people want to say, like, it's objectively disordered actions, that it's like all of the things that you've been describing 
the catechism, like because that's <laughs> the language that. the catechism uses, and, and it sounds it sounds pretty rough. But but like objectively disordered means that it's not working towards the natural order ordained by God. You and it's saying, like, but like all, all of those, uh, like. Uh, what's another example of this? Uh, but uh, yeah, beyond kind of uh, yeah, yeah. what, what uh, we classify as sexual sins, there's uh, lying is objectively disordered. Exactly. So, so calumny yeah. is objectively disordered. Blas sure. Blasphemy is objectively disordered sure. and on a level. Are like identified as a much higher level of so this is this is the language that the catechism uses for anything that is outside of the natural order uh, yeah. established by God. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I would it'd be kind of no. funny to have it on the newspaper. You know, right. someone the church says is using Jesus' name in vain is the is objectively it, 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 disordered. It, it, exactly, objectively disordered, which it is. That is exactly, but it would never make headlines, right? Of you know, course, it would never make headlines. <laughs> Of course, never, and think of how many people actually use the Lord's name in vain all the time. I, I hear it all the time. It's really distressing. Uh, but that is objectively disordered. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, we were just kind of getting like yeah, hot yeah. there. And then we have to <laughs> we have to go right out of time. Uh, but this was a good conversation. And I, I really think, I really hope that we kind of uh, unpacked this uh, this topic a little bit. Where, where <laughs> people to aren't... Um, I like what you said, Matt. Maybe that's a good way to end is oftentimes we understand our, our faith in terms of headlines. You know, there is there's something deeper than the headlines, you know, that um, that I think we need to come to understand. It's a struggle. Not all of us will agree with all of the church's teaching, but we are called to um, to go to look deeper into them, uh, to pray about them, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to really reveal to us. Why does the church teach this? Yeah. You know, help me to understand this more. And I, I think the more time we give um, the Holy Spirit to really work in our life, the more we really see uh, what how God has ordained sort of the world and, and, and the teachings of his church, right? So we have to go deeper than a headline. Uh, but I think we can all agree here in this conversation that um, members, of, uh, members of the homosexual community um, shouldn't feel that they are always uh, pushed aside Absolutely by the church. Not. They no. may feel that way, yeah, and we recognize that. Yeah, yeah, but they shouldn't. No, and not that they shouldn't. We maybe we should do a better job of 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 uh, welcoming exactly them. But there is a way to, to to welcome them. Just like you know, there's a way to welcome um, other uh, other people who who feel disenfranchised with the church as well. Yeah, for okay? sure. Maybe that's a good way to end. Hey, thanks for talking about this. Uh, and, it's a fun topic in 30, a, 30 minutes. And we could have gone a whole other 30 minutes talking yeah, about this. Is, this is the start of this conversation. Yeah, this yeah. is the start. And uh, hopefully we can shine a little bit more light going forward. So if you have any questions, comments, clarifications, or uh, uh, hateful comments for Matt, you can send them to the Catholic Buzz Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, for Josh Sullivan and Matt Van Milligan, I'm Father Daniele. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Bus.